Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to The X Factor. This is the podcast for leaders by leaders. I'm here today with Michael O'Kady. How are you today, Michael? I'm doing well. Thanks, Stephen, for having me. Well, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Michael O'Kady, and I'm a partner at the law firm Foley & Lardner. been at this firm a little bit over 20 years. And I have and have had in the past a variety of different leadership roles within the firm, as well as uh, being a practice attorney in the, the corporate uh, law area. Well, why don't you expand a little bit about that? Because I, I don't think many listeners and or the public in general really understand a uh, a career development path, you know, with inside a law firm. So, you know, uh, if you if like you said, you had several different uh, leadership uh, roles. Uh, why don't you just tell the people how you know how that works? Sure. Yeah. First of all, we're a, a large firm, about eleven hundred attorneys, twenty five offices across the country, and we've been around about one hundred and eighty years. I haven't been here that whole time, uh, but but if you have, um, and law firms in general are a little bit more flat leadership organizations as opposed to you know corporations which tend to be more hierarchical mm -hmm. and in general other than some key roles like CFO or COO for example a lot of our leadership comes within the the partnership and so we sort of draft partners to take on various leadership roles and that can be everything from managing an office to a practice to you know being on our firm's uh, board what we call our management committee all the way up to being you know CEO and chairman of the firm and so uh, we have we tend to have a lot of people in different leadership roles, given that we have a lot of practice areas and a lot of physical geographic offices, and they tend to rotate from time to time. Most of them are not permanent. And so we try to give different people opportunities to lead at different times. Uh, it's also not mandatory. It's not for everybody, right? Um, sometimes we draft people into service because we think they'd be great leaders. Sometimes people say they're not interested in it at all, and they just want to focus on being you know, a practicing attorney. Uh, so I personally have had different roles in the past. I manage my office. I help manage our industry teams. Presently, I manage one of our practice groups. That's the transactional practice group. So that's mergers and acquisitions, securities, mm -hmm. private equity, venture capital, and fund formation and investment management. It's a big practice group. Uh, and I also serve on our firm's board or what we call our management committee. It seems like uh, there's a lot of growth potential within uh, a large law, law firm like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting for those who are interested in leadership and, and who sort of fit the bill, it, they're good opportunities. It's, it's a necessary component of running a, you know, a billion dollar law firm. In many ways, it is like a big corporation, right? Mm -hmm. So we need people to help do those jobs and, and, and help carry out that work. Uh, I think it creates good opportunities for folks uh, like for me in my practice, I think it's helped me with my practice because now when I talk to clients and advise them on certain things, and sometimes a client might say, well, you don't know, you, you, you don't, you've never been there. You haven't walked a day in my shoes. You, you don't run a, a business. And I said, well, you, yeah, actually we do. <laughs> and we've got, we've got, uh, uh, you know, labor market issues. We've got supply chain issues. We've got cost of capital issues. We, you know, we deal with all the same sort of things uh, that, that most businesses do. And I think when you, have some of these leadership roles, it actually makes you a little bit more relatable uh, to clients, probably makes you a better advisor, actually. Yeah. Okay. So in your experience, what is the uh, best aspect of being a leader? Uh, 
That's not a loaded question, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're pretty straight up here, but I can understand the uh, I can understand the uh, the left turn that could be taken. So there, there's good days and bad days, right? Like anything else, I, I think you know uh, some of the best parts and the best moments. Number one, you, you get to have kind of influence and in, in say and an opinion in you know how your organization is is being run, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing to have opinions. It's another thing to be able to you know, put them in action. And so that's, you know, that's pretty rewarding. Um, but I think, you know, and you have to do it for a while, but once you do it for a while, then you start to see people who you've worked with and, and led. And I say, you know, there's a difference between leadership and management, right. And, you know, not just managers we're, we're leading, which means helping people achieve their full potential, you know, for the benefit of themselves and the whole organization. And I think when people do that, uh, you know, that that's something that's extremely rewarding. Um, so I think when that stuff comes to fruition, that that's one of the best aspects of being a leader is, is when you see those successes occur. Okay. And what do you see as the uh, primary uh, uh, responsibility of leadership? Yeah, I, well, I think it's it's maybe maybe two things. One is being a good steward over the organization, right? In our case, 180 year old institution, you know, older than some of the states in the union, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, a sort of weight of responsibility there uh, to take care of it and hopefully make it better uh, while you're you know you have a seat at the table. Um, you know, like don't screw up, right? <laughs> Inherited something uh, that that was here long before you and hopefully be here long after you're gone. And, and so to do your part during the period of time when, when, you know, you're, you're a custodian, uh, trustee of sorts. Uh, so I think number one is taking care of the organization and, and preserving it and leaving it better than you found it. Uh, hopefully. I think the second part is again, you know, the investment in your people. Um, and, you know, I don't think leaders, are necessarily supposed to tell people what to do and how to do it and, and make sure they do it right. I think that that's management. That's not leadership. Leadership, I think, is empowering people to perform to the best of their abilities, mm-hmm. uh, given their talents in the right place at the right time. And so I think you know, good leaders invest in people um, and give them the tools that they need to, to succeed. Um, and some of the most rewarding things are when you've sort of done that and then years later, uh, you see kind of the fruits of that labor um, I think that's one of the most rewarding aspects, but I think that's, you know, primary responsibility of being a leader is to create an environment uh, where people can do that, where they can apply their talents and and have ultimate success. Well, you know, from my perspective, and this might be unfair to other industries, but it seems like, you know, law firms rely upon human capital, maybe more so than, uh, you know, than other industries. And, you know, so, and, and you talk about, you know, the 180 year history of, of, uh, of Foley and Lardner, uh, and you've been there for 25 years. I'm wondering, you know, what have you seen and what have you done to, you know, to maintain and to develop uh, the human capital that, that, you know, that you do attract? Well, you're absolutely right. It's a it's a disproportionately human capital business. One of our former CEOs used to say, "Our assets go up and down the elevator every every day." Right? Mm-hmm. We don't make widgets. We don't have factories. Uh, we we don't even really necessarily have intellectual property. Right? We have people who perform services. Obviously, with a big firm like ours, we do have some you know intellectual property, which is the 
you know, the sort of library of knowledge and expertise developed over time. Uh, but we rely on people to carry that out. And, you know, so one of our core values is our people. And, you know, that's sort of easy to say, it's harder to implement. And it means different things at different times. You know, it can be in being flexible, you know, during a pandemic when people need to work from home. It can mean continuing education and giving people opportunities to rise throughout the organization. You know, in my office, we have people who started in the the mailroom and and now are division heads for for certain areas. Hmm. Uh, so I think it, it means a lot of different things at, at different times. Uh, but investing in our people, you know, it's no secret it's been a more diff- difficult uh, labor market lately right and and we had the great resignation and now there's this phenomenon of quiet quitting mm-hmm. uh, and so you know we've had labor shortages that has certain pressures on compensation but we all operate within a market you know and now we, we see sort of this inflation potentially hyperinflation that are reactions to or results of all that stuff we're no different you know we, we play in that market um so we're look we're trying to make a big investment in our people we've we've uh, added a lot of resources in that area we have a, a a chief talent officer who does a phenomenal job um, everything from alumni programs to continuing ed coaching uh, services within the firm to even career counseling right so if someone says you know what I I don't think I want to be here forever we, we've said my former CEOs used to say being at Foley should be good for your career whether you stay here or not um, we need to realize that in this market in particular, you know, people don't stay at the same job their whole career. <laughs> and so the time you spend here should be good for you and should be good for us nonetheless. And if you've made that decision that you want to do something different, let's work on that together. Let's partner on that. And so, you know, I think people used to call those things like outplacement, uh, you know, departments, but that kind of has a negative connotation. You know, we think it's really more career counseling. And, and if somebody says, I want to go in house and experience that, and we should help them do that. And then if five or 10 years later, they're looking for their next in-house opportunity, they want to go somewhere else, you know, that can even be a lifelong relationship, right? So I, I think as my former CEO said, being at the firm should be good for your career, whether you stay here or not, we try to live that out. Okay. And so it sounds like, you know, the, the firm has a, um, uh, just a comprehensive uh, talent optimization uh program or even just in a a philosophy and i'm wondering you know how does that uh obviously i'm I'm not going to ask you you know what you all do with that but you know how does that impact uh you know basically how you execute strategy from a business standpoint but also from a legal standpoint uh as far as uh you know uh um you know doing the best and providing the best service for your for your clients yeah, well, I think it has to be really integrated in the service delivery, you know, every day. I mean, there's no secret. The practice of law is not, you know, a, a cakewalk, right? It's a difficult career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's It can be challenging intellectually. It can be demanding on your time. Sometimes those demands conflict with, you know, having like a, a great work-life balance. And so we have to, I think, work extra hard just to begin with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think we also one of our other core values is our clients, right? And, and putting our clients first, we're in a customer service business, but not at the sake of, uh, you know, taking advantage of our people, right? So I think we, it's something you have to balance all the time. We're also in a business that is 
for the most part, an hourly business, right? We bill, bill hourly. And so you're as profitable essentially as there are hours in the day or hours that you can work. And so um, managing that to, to a workload that's manageable, you know, is, is kind of a constant um, challenge. And so whether that means arranging for flex time or certain leaves for different reasons, having flexibility with remote work and things like that. Uh, we have, you know, one of our benefits is a program that provides temporary, you know, childcare, for example. I saw something come through this morning that said, you know, it actually off also offers uh, temporary pet care. You know, <laughs> you might be out because of a surgery or a trip or something like that. Did you, did you know uh, this email came across the firm that our, that, that choice benefit also includes these other uh, services? So, um, I think it's just a matter of trying to provide all of those things. And some of that may seem, you know, like, well, everybody's doing that. Um, and maybe to some degree they are, but I think it's how we carry it out, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis while also balancing the fact that we're in a, you know, high demand customer service centric business. Yeah. Well, you know, your, your statement uh, of, you know, your, 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 the human capital, you know, how it goes up and down the elevators every day, you know, that's the, the your primary asset. Uh, it got me thinking it's, 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 it's really more like a professional sports team, right? Where really the, the, the quality of the product is all dependent upon, you know, the quality of the talent that you're able to bring into the organization. And if you don't have, you know, great talent, you're not going to have a great, uh, a great team to put out there. And so I'm wondering, you know, is the dynamic any different between, uh, you know, a division head like yourself and, and your uh, reports and, and subordinates as a coach and a player? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can only speak from the lawyer perspective. I've never been a professional athlete, but uh, yeah, I think it is very similar, right? I, I think there's uh, in many ways, we're, we're professional coaches, right? Leaders in law firms. And again, I'm a, I'm also a practicing attorney here too, right? So I have leaders that I report to. And mm -hmm. I think the best coaches encourage, you know, they point out things that you can improve on. It's supposed to be called feedback. It sometimes comes across as criticism, right? But the whole point, I, I use that analogy from time to time. Like, you know, if you played sports growing up and your coach told you how to do this differently or do that differently, it wasn't because they were trying to be critical It's because they were trying to help you get better at your sport. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we didn't like our coaches or you can analogize to, uh, you know, a, a music instructor or a dance instructor. I mean, there's a debate coach, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be sports, but mm -hmm. good coaches. And therefore I think good leaders inspire. They point out things that can make you better. Um, they give you the tools, hopefully to do that, create opportunities uh, so I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of analogies and, and you're right. We're only as good as the talent that we've got. Um, there's other components as well, obviously having name brand and recognition, all that stuff, but reputation is earned. <laughs> we got to keep it. Um, it's obviously easier to join a hundred plus year old firm than maybe start your own. Just like it's probably easier to start a, a join a team that was last year's national champions than, than maybe a franchise team. Right. But um at the end of the day, it's still, I think you're right. It comes down to the people. You know, the, the feedback aspect is, is so important. And research has shown that feedback is the number one predictor of performance. 
And what you were speaking about is really the perception of feedback is that if you take it as criticism, then people get defensive about it. Uh, but if you take it as a, uh, as, as somebody trying to help you, uh, then, you know, then it opens up pathways, you know, for, for improvement. And I'm wondering if there's something, you know, that, that you do or, or what Foley does, uh, that when people walk through that door, uh, or through your door and they say, you know, I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to accept feedback, or is there a process within somebody's career where they come to that realization? Because it sounds like it's part of the culture. Well, look, I, I think that's hard. It's a hard part of this, right? Because we're all type A. I think the people who tend to come to, you know, professional services, top law firm, probably went to a top law school. They probably did well in college. They did well in high school. They're used to winning, you know, they're not used to getting anything other than A's. Yeah. And you sit down for your first or second review and there's some constructive feedback and it feels like a B or a C, you know, and it's not what it's intended to be at all, right? It's intended to be, man, you, you know, you're doing great here on these nine things on this one thing, you could do a little better here. And you know, it's a little bit like, you know, your kids come home with a report card and it's all A's and one B. And what do you often do as a parent? You immediately say, what happened to that class? As opposed to saying, wow, that's really great. You got, you know, all A's and these other classes that that's really great. Must've been hard to do. Congratulations. You know, and then maybe talk about the B <laughs> later. Right. But, and so Type A, high-performing, high-achieving people, when they get feedback, sometimes take it as criticism. But I think the, and look, I was guilty of this too. You're a young person, and you're, you know, you're new to the job, and and uh, you're trying to do well. You're working really hard, and what comes across as uh, criticism is really well-intended feedback. You got to be open to it. Mm -hmm. I, I think we we do try to be intentional about that. I think we could probably could even be better. And, and even, you know, and we do try to say at the outset of review calls, for example, or review meetings, like, look, this is meant to benefit you and your career. And I often repeat that line, being at this firm should be good for your career, whether you stay or not. These are skills you can take with you, wherever you go. And I often tell people, you know, I remember when I was more junior saying something like, well, the firm's making me do this. And the firm's asked me to do that. It's like, not, not really, right. They're all my choices. And as I do those things, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm making an investment in the firm and it benefits the firm, but I'm also investing in and benefiting me and my, in my career. And so I tried to change that vocabulary a little bit to say, instead of, you know, the firm's making me do this to say like the firm gave me the opportunity to do this, you know, and I could say no, if I don't want to, but in general, we generally ask people to do things that we think are good for the firm, good for themselves. And so I, I tell people sometimes, you know, just like the degree that's framed on your wall, if you leave here, you take that with you, right? It's not ours. We don't own it. Similarly, all the experiences that you gain, all the things that you get to do, not, you know, have to do, you get to take those with you too, right? And so you're, think about it as, you know, Dr. Long Inc. or uh, Michael Katie Inc., you're investing in your own business, uh, even though you may be at a bigger shop where you're, you know, it feels like you're doing stuff because you're, you're asked or told to, but uh, I think that mindset of I'm investing in myself and that mindset that feedback really is well-intended, just like the coach or the music instructor, or the debate, you know, captain mm -hmm. trying to make you better at that skill set, Right. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was just about to say that, uh, you know, the um, it's too bad that the, you know, graduate schools or law schools don't have a, a grade for uh, a growth oriented attitude. 
uh, you know, cause maybe they're getting A's, but you know, maybe they don't really care about growing all that much. And that's what it seems to be uh, what's important, you know, to go into a, uh, a review uh, and, and to be able to accept that feedback. And uh, I actually, I have a friend from high school who, uh, who's gone on to great things, uh, you know, uh, bought, brought two companies public and now is an, uh, an investor of startup healthcare uh, companies. Uh, but when he was in high school, uh, his, his parents had pictures of the kids on the wall and, and if one of them came home with a B, they turned that picture around <laughs> until they turned the grade around, which I think is a little harsh. But he told me is that, you know, once he got over the, you know, the emotion of it and just started asking, okay, what can I do better? Not from his parents, but go back to the teacher who gave him a B yeah. and say, you know, what can I do better? Uh, that kind of set the, you know, s- you know, set the, uh, uh, you know, the blueprint for his success, because he doesn't look as, you know, look at it, feedback as criticism. I mean, he's actually, he looks for feedback. Now he wants to know where he can get better and how he can do it better. And what's he, you know, what's wrong and what can be better. Uh, and that is something that's, uh, I think, hard to find in, in, in corporate America these days. And I'm, I'm just wondering from, from your experience, I'm wondering if there's something within a review process that can, you know, turn somebody around from, Hey, you know, you're, you know, you're criticizing me rather than uh, no, you're, you're actually trying to help me. And if I can uh, assimilate this feedback and then put it into practice, I'll be so much better and I'll be able to uh, achieve my, you know, my career goals, you know, that much faster. Yeah, well, I think it depends on the individual, right? And how receptive they are to it or not. Like I said, we're all working hard. We, we've all been high achievers. We, we get to that review and there's a little ding and it feels, you know, we maybe um, have thin skin uh, or, you know, not uh, not super used to getting criticism. So I think even just talking about it, saying, look, the purpose of this is a performance review so that we can identify areas of strength, but also areas of weakness that you can work on so that you can be you know, the best uh, that you can be, right? And that helps you, it helps us. It's not meant to be adversarial. We're not looking for things to criticize and point out to say, ha, we gotcha, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't do this well. What we're really trying to do is 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 make it, make you better so that we can make the work product better. And so, you know, we're, we're all more successful if everybody is successful. But, you know, I also recognize it's a very human reaction to say, gosh, you know, I'm working my butt off. I'm, I'm spending all this time. This stuff's hard. It's demanding, you know, and then, and then I got criticized too on top of it, you know, and, and so it's a pretty natural reaction to, um, take a blow from that. But I think just even talking about it up front, what it's intended to be, what it was meant to be. And then, you know, again, I think living it out. Right. So if, if we say, Hey, you know, you're, you're writing, you know, you're great at all this stuff, but your writing needs some work. Mm-hmm. Well, you just say that, or you could say, and and here's a tutorial and here's a writing coach and <laughs> here, you know, why don't I show you, by the way, one of the things that I wrote 15 years ago, which I'm embarrassed, you know, still exists in the database, right? Because I've developed so much as a writer, mm-hmm. but we were all there once too, right? And you know, I remember getting documents back that were just covered in red ink, you know, marked up by the supervising 
attorneys. And then I remember the time, the first time I got a memo or a document back and it didn't have any comments on it, you know, I thought, wow, you know, either they forgot to read it or I've come a long way. Yeah. And so uh, I think sharing some of your own personal experiences too, right. Saying hey, we, we've been in your shoes, been, I was there one day, just like you are, you know, it's, it's almost like the, you know, a, a leader has to overcome the followers uh, indoctrination of human nature is that if they're, you know, what's called a theory X human nature, then, then, then they're viewing the feedback as a means to be controlled by, right? Because that, that's, you know, theory X is, is more about authoritarian type leaders and they're going to provide negative feedback, but not really help, you know, not really provide a means for you to overcome it. They're just going to use it, you know, to, you know, to control you, you know, as yeah. an employee. But in theory, why, which is you know more democratic type of leadership, uh, if they've been indoctrinated into that, said, so, oh yeah, give me the negative feedback, right? Because I know you're you're there to help me, right? Okay, and so it, it it almost comes down to you know what their view of human nature is 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 whether you know people are good or people are bad. It, it can go that far down to a, you know to 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 humanity to the basics of of humanity, so. Uh, and some people, uh, and I'm sure this has been in your experience and I'm wondering if you have any, you know, uh, uh, stories about it is that some people are, you know, much more willing to listen to, uh, and accept the, uh, the constructive feedback, uh, where other people, it might take them more and more repetitions, if you will, uh, in, you know, uh, interactions with the leader to find out, oh no, I can actually trust this person. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's hard to unpack everybody's, you know, sort of background, but maybe if you get one reaction, if the parents turn the photo around versus a you know, different reaction, if they had different, different experience, but, you know, I think you could, you walk, you can do two ba uh, reviews back to back. And in one, the person's a sponge and say, what else, what else, you know, how can I do this better? I have questions about this. I have questions about that. Mm -hmm. And in, in the next one, you know, you can say something that you think is, is, you know, really uh, kind of benign and then there's a real negative reaction you know and then you can tell they're not really even hearing the rest of the meeting so i think it does come down to again it's a it's a highly intensive human capital business and so you know we don't have machines right we don't have robots we have we have live human beings and mm -hmm. we all have feelings and emotions and it can even come down to the day of the week right if you're having a good day and you have that review might be different reaction than if you're having a bad day right or it could be something that someone else said to them in a different review at the same firm or maybe in a different job, right. Or in school. So I think all you can do is try to set the stage up front mm -hmm. of what the intentions of it are. And then, and then you got to live it out. Right. And I think you also have to acknowledge like, Hey, you know, last time we talked about your writing skills and, you know, you didn't do anything about it. You didn't take advantage of the coach. You didn't watch that tutorial we sent you and the writing still where it was before, or, you, you took advantage of all the resources we provided and we've noticed and we appreciate that you've improved in that area, you know, and good job. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So acknowledgement, accountability, uh, I think all of that stuff. And again, I think sharing your own personal experiences just tries to set that stage. But at the end of the day, it does come down to the individual, uh, both how you, you know, the leaders are delivering the message, but also how, you know, the individuals are receiving it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that gets right to the heart of communication. Uh, because what what you may intend may not be received and uh and 
it, it may not be anybody's fault. It just might be their own perspective, right. uh, you know? And so that's where persistence from a leadership and from the follower standpoint, you know, come into play. So, you know, it's, it, it's just fascinating when it comes to, um, you know, human capital intensive industries and, and, and what needs to be done to, you know, optimize the talent that they have. Uh, Cause it just seems that it's, you know, basically everything is pretty much hinging on that. Yeah. And it's also a long cycle, right? We, we, we start recruiting people between their first and second years in law school. They come and work for us in, as interns after their second year, mm-hmm. come and work for us full-time after their third year. It's a long sort of, you know, sales cycle, if you will, to, to close that recruiting sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a long ramp up time before you know what you're doing. It's apprentice, you know, business uh, or profession in, in in medicine they have residencies right for that period of time uh, law doesn't do that but sort of effectively the first couple of years is kind of like that right and you're not always the first draft isn't the last draft and sometimes oftentimes you know there's things that you do that we don't bill clients for because you're still learning and training and so there's a big investment throughout the recruiting cycle in the first couple of years you know statistics vary but the what we call the you know the break even on a a new associate can be years. And so if you do that and then the person leaves for one reason or another, that may be a lost investment. And so there's a huge incentive, uh, obviously to keep people. We want to keep people. Um, There's great benefits to clients in terms of continuity of, of the relationship and the work product. Um, And so we, we do pour a lot of time and effort into this, including with the team that I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as, um, you know, resources that even go beyond that. And, you know, we just launched a recently new campaign called Happy at Foley. And it's part of our social media tag. And, you know, the idea is that in general, right, uh, this is a great firm. It's been a great place for me, you know, longest relationship in my life besides my wife, um, I guess my parents. And I've thrived in my career here. And I think others can as well. Not naive enough to think that everybody will come here and stay forever, but we would like it to be a place where you can do that. Right. And so what does it take to be, to be happy at this firm? And, you know, what are those things that we can do? Obviously it's a business. We need to run it profitably. We need to take care of our clients and provide good customer service and work product. Uh, But if we can do that in a way that also emphasizes the the human capital uh, that we're so dependent on and me being one of them, right. And we say us and the the firm uh, often joke, like, well, what is the firm? Well, I'm, I'm part of the firm. Right. So it's me too. Uh, and uh, that's a, that's always a good reminder. Yeah. It's, it, but it just seems like you mentioned the great resignation. And uh, I think I've read uh, studies that, uh, you know, uh, associate attrition rates range between 16 and 26%. Um, and, you know, I don't know what that correlates into, uh, you know, into dollars and investment, but it certainly uh, would appear to me that, uh, what what you all doing at, at Foley to you know attract and retain those people is just vitally important to the future of the firm and not only just the future but the present as well. No, that's right. And you know, look as as well intended as interviews are, you go on campus and you meet somebody for twenty minutes. You invite them back to the office for three or four hours. You then have them for the whole summer, which is good. That's a pretty long interview, right? Uh, although for for big AMLA 100, AMLA 50 firms, um, 
you know, if you, if you get invited back for the summer program, you're, you're generally invited back full time unless something goes really poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, if there, if we identified something that seemed to be a real problem, we would, we would maybe cut the cord there, but, um, it's hard in a 20 minute interview to really figure out what, what somebody's going to be like long-term. And, and honestly, I think it's also double, double-sided, right? Cause I think you've spent one year in law school, which is a three-year thing. And, uh, we've all been there. They don't really teach you how to practice law. They, there's a lot of kind of textbook law in law school. And so a lot of times people come out and realize it's not what they expected. Right. And you don't know that when you're going into a 20 minute interview, you know, the summer before your second year, um, we try to make that summer program as realistic as possible. You know, I'd say it used to be a little more of kind of a recreational summer with lots of dinners and things like that. But what we would like is for the last day of the summer to look like the first day, you know, when someone comes back full time. So they recognize the place and they've gotten a realistic picture of, of what it's like to practice and to practice at our firm. Mm-hmm. So I think if we do things like that, we increase the likelihood of success. But uh, yeah, no, there's no doubt there's there's attrition in the workplace in general and in this industry as well. And given the long lead time and the big investment that we make, you know, that's something we obviously want to minimize. Every once in a while, there's a situation where it makes sense for someone to pursue a different path, either from their own perspective or from ours. But in general, we hope to have, you know, long-term relationships with the people we, we spend a lot of time recruiting and training. Yeah. And I guess that that's what adds up to 180 years of, uh, of firm history. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good model to follow. So um, who were your leadership role models and uh, what did you learn from them? Yeah, I've had uh, several within the firm. Um, and I think they emulated a lot of the stuff that I just mentioned, you know, they, they would sort of share with me where they were at the same stage and acknowledge, you know, things that I might have been upset about, for example, not just dismiss it. I had, you know, role model models and mentors who really invested in me and my career, both you know, on the professional side, also the leadership side, giving me opportunities, um, you know, chances to do things uh, within the firm, outside the firm. And, you know, they, they take risks when they do that. Um, I remind myself when I'm asking people to do things like, you know, this, this opportunity could be a turning point inflection point, in someone's career. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, sometimes we feel like we're just filling a slot on a roster or something, but in reality, you know, who you pair people up as mentors with or trainers and or put on different committees or in different roles can have a big impact. And uh, I'm grateful to the folks who came before me who did that for me also had some really good ones outside the firm, which was a nice kind of comparison, you know, people who might be even lawyers or at other law firms, but not this one or who used to practice law and could kind of share their perspectives, some, some CEOs as well of of companies um, just to get that perspective. And that's always been, been helpful to me. So I, I do try to turn that favor if it's helpful (laughs) uh, to provide the same sort of, you know, mentoring and and hopefully being a role model for others. Yeah. I think, I think that's important. I'm, I'm at an age where, uh, you know, where young people come to me and I remember when I was their age or even a little bit older and I was uh, fortunate enough to have some tremendous mentors who just extended their hand to me. And, um, and it's, it, it, it's one of the primary reasons why I am now. So um, I think if people have that sense of gratitude, I think they're more than willing to give back uh, to, you know, to deserving young people. 
So, uh, so how do you relax? How do you celebrate? <laughs> in the spare time, um, well, I uh, have a family, three kids, uh, tend to do the things that the kids are involved in. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting older, going off to college and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, soon to be more empty nesters, but not, not entirely empty. And a friend and a mentor to me said, you know, you go from, you go from empty nest to bigger nest, you know, as kids get engaged or married or have kids of their own. So you, your home might be a little more empty, but it's really a bigger nest. And so looking forward to that stage, uh, my wife and I've been married 25 years, uh, three great kids and, uh, you know, spend a lot of time with them. We do like to travel now that uh, pandemic's hopefully coming to an end and, and food and sports and, and that kind of stuff. But I also, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I like to say that I try to make my clients, my friends and my friends, my clients, uh, maybe I don't try to do that, but that seems to be what happens. And that, that can be uh, really rewarding, you know, cause when you're in the trenches and it's late at night or tough circumstances, but you feel like it's not just a paid gig, but you're actually helping somebody that you know and like and care about. Hopefully it's mutual. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that makes it easier, but it also makes it more you know, rewarding. There's other times where, you know, uh, because we are in the trenches and sometimes we deal with tough issues as lawyers, um, you know, being friends could be maybe less ideal, but uh, that's one way that I've sort of merged kind of the work-life balance. I think it's Richard Branson said, you know, there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's life and work is a part of it. Mm -hmm. So if you enjoy what you're doing and if you can become friends or friendly with the people you're working with and vice versa, you know, I think that does uh, make it more, not just manageable, but also full-time rewarding. And, and then it hopefully feels a little less like work, right? Yeah, there's an old saying, the strength is not in its bind, but, is in, but in its bond. Yeah. And uh, you actually can create energy and, um, you know, by, by having those relationships on, uh, on more of a, um, uh, you know, familial level, you know, rather than just a work level. So, all right. Well, so how can people contact you, Michael? Sure. Uh, if, if there's anything here that was useful or helpful, or if you want to just connect, my email is M-O-K-A-T-Y. M -O -K -A -T -Y at foley.com, F-O-L-E-Y.com. And the phone number is 407-244-3229. Well, this has been terrific. I really appreciate uh, you bringing some insight into the uh, legal profession, Michael. Uh, so uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I'm Dr. Stephen Long. He is uh, Michael O'Kady, and we will see you next time.